The scripture lesson today is from the sixth chapter of Luke. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Kelly. You may be seated. Blessed are the poor. Amen. Five years ago, a high-rise was being developed in New York City, slated to be filled with million-dollar-plus condos. Affordable housing advocates were outraged. The wealthy have enough homes here, they said. What this city needs are homes that working people can afford. They were persistent, they were passionate, and they were right. And so the city made this developer reserve a certain percentage of the building's units for low-income residents. It was a well-won victory that affordable housing advocates savored right up until the moment that the architectural drafting came out. The plans showed a gleaming high-rise building, and yes, all of the affordable units were there. But the design of the building made it so that there were two separate areas completely cut off and inaccessible from each other. The affordable units on the bottom and the million dollars on the top. Now these expensive residences offered views of the Hudson River and Central Park and access to a 24-hour gym with a pool. These views and amenities did not extend to those in the affordable units. They couldn't get to that part of the building if they tried. Wealthy condo owners were assured in their prospective visits that they would never have to share the pool with a poor person. But the detail that stung the most was the entrance. Wealthy residents had a doorman to greet them as they came into a well-appointed lobby that opened onto a busy New York City Avenue. Residents in the affordable units 
weren't allowed in that way. Instead, they had to walk from the street into an alley where they had a separate entrance that would take them to their homes. This entrance quickly became known as the poor door. Are you offended by this? You should be. We've just heard Jesus say, blessed are the poor. And anyway, this is about as blatant as classism gets. It's easy to find the bad guy in a story like this. It's easy to raise our voices in collective outrage. It's easy to imagine that we would be more compassionate than these transparently greedy developers. But it's harder to recognize our own complicity and to see the poor doors we build in our own communities. Heidi Newmark, a Lutheran pastor who works and lives near where this building went up, wrote an article about the poor door as the building was being constructed, and she writes this. The poor doors in luxury buildings are just the latest manifestation of what goes on every day. Our systems of health care, education, immigration, and criminal justice, they all have their poor doors in back alleys of edifices built for the more privileged. As part of a mainline church, I join the disgust over apartment buildings with separate entrances. And yet the truth is that most of our congregations have front door people and side door people and the latter are usually poorer. Does Mount Olivet have a poor door? Are we like the New York developers who seek to curate a pleasant and upbeat experience here, uninterrupted by the unpredictability and messiness that comes with poverty? Do we hide ourselves from people who are poor, hungry, weeping and rejected, the very people that Jesus calls blessed? Do we as a church look like we belong more in that list of woes than that list of blesseds in today's gospel? I want to say no. We are a congregation of people in all sorts of different situations. There's folks of so many different races and ethnicities here, and we've got people who are very wealthy and people who are really struggling financially. And what's more, people feel free to break the silence about the suffering in their lives here at church. Every single new member class I've led, we've asked the question, where are you connecting at Mount Olivet? Why do you want to be part of this church? And what people say is always the same. They say, Mount Olivet is a welcoming church where you can show up honestly and authentically, where people say right out loud in front of everyone, whatever it is they're dealing with, every time we pray together in worship. Blessed are those who weep. Mount Olivet gets that. What a grace that God has given us. What a grace 
that <laughs> to know that if you are suffering, you can bring that suffering with you to church and place it into the praying hands and hearts of the people around you rather than having to shove it down and pretend like you're getting through this life unscathed. Truly, this is the Holy Spirit at work in us. On the other hand, you cannot deny that we as a church do not look like our wider community. We are much whiter and wealthier as a church than the Twin Cities Metro. But Pastor Joel, you can't put that all on us. The Twin Cities are huge. Surely we are not responsible for these wider systems of historical discrimination and separation and inequity in a metro filled with millions. Fair points, imaginary congregant. <laughs> so how about this? Let's just look at the church's zip code. 55441 stretches from Rockford Road to about 394 in between 169 and 494. According to 2017 estimates from the Census Bureau, more than one out of every 10 children in this zip code lives below the federal poverty line. One in four people in this zip code is a person of color. You might not come to that conclusion by looking around at our worshiping body and looking at our membership roles. Even on a hyper-local level, we look more like a top-floor condo than an affordable housing unit. So does that mean Mount Olivet has a poor door, too? I don't know if this is the right question to be asking. It certainly isn't the only question we should ask, but it is worth asking. I don't actually think it's bad in and of itself that we aren't a perfect demographic match of our community. And we know it's not wrong to be white or to have money. But I do think we need to name and notice this mismatch in order to be responsible in how we show up in the community. And I don't think we should ever get comfortable with this tension. So yes, ask, continue asking if there's a poor door that we have in this church. But also, ask some other questions. Perhaps this one. In a society filled with poor doors, who is God calling each of us to be? Now, to answer that question, we've got to look at Jesus this morning, and we've got to listen to him closely. Because this passage lies close to the very heart of the mystery of our faith. And the mystery is this. The God we meet in Jesus Christ is bringing all things to God's own self, restoring them to fullness of life, making us whole together. The God we meet in Jesus Christ 
can take those things and those situations and those people that we would just wish could stay confined to the lower floors of our lives and leave our pristine penthouses untouched, God can take those and make for them a place in the kingdom. The God we meet in Jesus Christ overturns our conventional wisdom saying that blessing lies in the very places that we are so wired to avoid and that danger lurks in the security that we spend most of our lives running after. You know this kind of security. I know this kind of security. I run after it too. Security that comes in the list of things that Jesus places in the woe column. Wealth a full belly, being entertained, the praise of others. None of them are bad things to have, but they are dangerous, and they ought to be handled with extreme caution because they can get under our skin. In fact, I read that woe in this passage can also be translated as warning, Jesus knew these things are potent. Jesus knew that when we run after wealth and status, soon they become necessary preconditions for us to even feel good about ourselves, to feel like our life has meaning, to feel like we matter. And then from then on out, it's a cycle, isn't it? We chase after those things. Who wouldn't want to feel like their life matters? And soon the chase becomes so consuming that we're passing people by. We're shutting people out <laughs> who threatens to stand between us and what we're convinced we need in order to feel like our lives have worth and value. It's the pattern of thought we get into when we think, I can only be happy about my life if I can show that I did better than someone else. It's the kind of pattern that leads us to avoid people who are suffering, people who become complicated to deal with because of the complications in their life, because you know talking with them is going to take more time out of your schedule than you'd like it to. It's the kind of pattern that leads people to worry that their luxury condo overlooking the Hudson with pool access is going to lose its value because they have to occasionally ride an elevator with poor people. But that's not how it actually works. Not in New York real estate and certainly not in the kingdom of God. The kingdom, it's not something we reach only after we've bypassed all those other people we've convinced ourselves are obstacles standing between us and the lives we want, the lives we think are going to bring us meaning and make us matter. No. The kingdom is those other people. As soon as we build a poor door, as soon as we grant separate access, as soon as we push others away, separate ourselves from others that we deem less than us, we have missed the kingdom that God is bringing to us in Jesus Christ. 
This is the great reversal at the heart of our faith. We think that the God, (laughs) we think that we have a God that will be found in places of power that look like ours. We think that God's going to show up in places of human strength and might, in wealth and power and feelings of approval, the places that we spend most of our time trying to get ourselves to. We think that God's going to be at the top of the condo building. And then we meet Jesus, and he gives us a different view. This sermon today, he gives not on a mountain, not on a pinnacle, but on level ground, where people from every place gather around him with equal access to him and the grace he gives. There he is speaking these words to city people and country folk, rich, poor, sick, some with unclean spirits, not one higher than the other, not using separate entrances, but sharing equally in this glorious mess of love. Who does God call us to be in a society filled with poor doors? God needs people who understand that the kingdom is built on level ground. God needs people who build bridges between the gaps that we've built for ourselves because they know that the kingdom is other people. God needs people who've tasted the sweetness, not of a full belly or a fat wallet, but the goodness of sharing equally in the glorious mess of love. Have you tasted this sweetness? Come to this table. Know that this is the level plane that God comes to us on. Know here that you come as one poor and as one made rich in grace. And then go out to walk through the poor doors of this world, singing the praises of the God who makes us one. Amen.